Hello, everyone, and I'm Rodrigo Lujero. I'm your host for the Cyberverse Business Report podcast. This is the place where we talk about the business of technology and the technology of, of the business. We talk about the transformative power of technology and the impact that has in our society and in everyone's lives. And with me today, we have uh, Brian Gallagher, CEO of, of CodeLock. And Brian has, I, I, I'm truly in awe of the story of the creation of CodeLock. So Brian, want you, want, why won't you share with us the, the story of, of CodeLock and the genesis of CodeLock? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And it's great to be talking to you and, and your audience today. So yeah, CodeLock was a solution to a problem that we didn't know existed until December of 2020. And in fact, the first company that I started with my business partner was a, an AI ML, you know, big data company. And we were doing some work in the commercial sector and with the federal government as well. And very specifically, we were working with the Department of Homeland Security on a problem, looking at drone pieces and parts coming from the U.S. and trying to track and trace with a, a blockchain-based system, you know, where all these parts were, were going. And the same week that we had a big meeting lined up, the two of their undersecretaries, their CIO and their CISO, what happens? SolarWinds gets announced. And I remember this very specifically because Brian, sorry, sorry to interrupt you because sure, yeah. we, we we try to keep here about the technology and the business of technology. Can you in in the sixty seconds tell us what is this solar winds that happened two years ago? Yeah, absolutely. So the reason why it's referred to as solar winds is because there was a cybersecurity company. There is a cybersecurity company called Solar Winds, and they had a product that pushed out to about 18,000 different users, both government and commercials. It was ironically a cybersecurity product. And what happened is the, the Russians actually were able to uh, get into their product and do what was called a supply chain attack. And this is something that most of the industry has never even heard of or thought of in the past, but I mean, brilliant from a hacking perspective. And, and what that ultimately looks like is you go in and you expose or compromise or put malware onto software at a developer, somebody who's building software. And then that person is going to take that compromised software and send it out to the world, send it out to their clients. So by attacking one source in that supply chain, you get to then push it out, you know, the corrupted software out to, you know, to, to millions. And this is the first time we've seen that at a nation state level, meaning from another country doing something to attack the United States very specifically. Fantastic. It's, it never ceases to, 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 to amaze me how many variations of the Trojan horse we, we, we can see in today's, in today's digital world. A hundred percent. And here's an interesting stat for your, your audience. We're seeing a 633% increase year over year right now in supply chain attacks. And this is something that wasn't even on anybody's radar prior to 2020. And now it's probably one of the biggest topics in cybersecurity everywhere. Very good. So you're in a meeting, you, you, on, on a different topic, talking about AI and ML, and, and then this hits and a light bubble goes, goes into your head, I guess. Yeah, so we don't even go into the meeting yet. We we know, I think it's about a Monday. We know we have that meeting later in the week. And I call up my contact, who was the Undersecretary of Intelligence for DHS at the time, and ask him, hey, do you still want to meet with us? I'm sure you guys are preoccupied. And he says, nope, it's already on the schedule. You know, come on in. So I tell my team, listen, 
they're going to care less what we have to talk about, you know, on our, our canned speech that we're, we're planning to go in on. So how do we make the best out of this opportunity in this audience? And the next day, my business partner, JT, Dr. Kosman, calls me up and I'm in my gym working out. He's actually in his gym working out. We had a little competition thing going on to see who could be the fittest. And he says, hey, Brian, I figured it out. And I'm thinking, JT, you figured what out. You figured out where you're going to go get lunch, you know, what you want <laughs> in your hamburger today. You know, make sure you get extra fries because we're having this whole competition on losing weight. And he says, no, I figured out how we could have stopped solar winds. And so I start listening to him. And, and he, he starts asking me some questions and I'm a former law enforcement agent. I was with the United States Secret Service officer, as was JT. He was a police officer. And so he starts kind of teasing me out and saying, well, when you go to a crime scene, what do you do? You know, you look for evidence. Well, when you find evidence, what do you do with it? Well, you, you bag it and you tag it and you create a chain of custody. And that chain of custody is good all the way up to the courtroom. And so he says, well, Brian, why aren't we doing that with software? And I told him, that's a, that's a great, great question. I mean, software isn't normally built just by one person. It's built by a collection of people within an organization who have often taken software from other open source locations and, and pulled it in. So you have this, this spider web of, you know, zeros and ones ultimately that create the program that you're actually using. And why can't we know? every developer that actually had their hands on that project at, at one point in time. And that became the basis of, of CodeLock. So, you know, I told him, don't say another word. I'm going to get our attorneys on the phone. We had our patent filed within seven days of the SolarWinds announcement. We walked into that meeting with DHS and said, we've solved all your problems in the world. We just can't tell you about it until the patents are filed. <laughs> <laughs> About a week or two later, provided them all the documentation. They had their science and technology gear to do a review, came back with a glowing endorsement. I actually got this out of their legal department. In writing, they, they came out and said that CodeLock has the capability to stop the most sophisticated criminal malware. And they even said it would be effective against nation states. And so, you know, that's kind of a, a leading endorsement that we, we roll with and have been very proud about. That is that is fantastic. You know, it, it always amazes me that the parallels between between the the physical world and the, and the digital world, and that's why I like to focus here really on 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 recreating in the digital world on on cybersecurity all the things that you do in the real world. And I guess nobody is better positioned than than you that that were part of of the secret service that were solving crimes. In the in the real physical world, and now you transition to to the digital world. That's that's definitely a fan, fantastic fan, fantastic tra trajectory. So, what what does the, the 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 future hold for for code lock and all of this supply chain problem that that really affects? I mean, we'll, let's look at China. Let's look at Russia. This is a real problem today. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I mean, I think we know that cybersecurity as a whole is, is only going to grow. I mean, the threats are going to change and, you know, the amount of, of data that's being used and the amount of the world that's digitized is only going to continue to grow and grow and grow. So we're, we're constantly going to be finding new threats and looking for new ways to, to combat them and, and fight them. Um, I think for CodeLock, though, really what we're, we're seeing in the last couple of years has been a shift for businesses. And some of that has been pushed by regulatory change. Now, that could be anything from 
the recent SEC regulations for publicly traded companies that, you know, mandating people sit on boards that actually have cybersecurity experience to be able to, to bring more protection to shareholders. Or it could be things like the executive order that President Biden signed in May of 2021 that forced the federal government to look at software supply chain security and how to better protect it. And so what we've seen since then have been more regulatory changes, things that along the lines of, you know, if you're a business that either sells software or a product with software in it, to even include firmware to the federal government, you now must comply with these new software standards. If you don't, you don't get to sell it to the government and the government's the biggest buyer of product in the world. And so, you know, they came up with a way to, to tag the, the, you know, the pocketbook, you know, the bank account to, to actually taking the changes seriously. And, and the other thing that we've seen, there's been this, this statement in the market called shift left in software development. And the mindset behind that is historically developers and security engineers wouldn't work together. Developers would build their code, it would be done. And then the security side of the house would try to figure out how to protect it and, and keep it safe. But we're finding that that's, that's broken. It's kind of like, you know, building an airplane and putting a bunch of people in it. And as the airplane's crashing, we're trying to figure out how to fix it, right? You can't do that. You know, you need to think about how to build it in the first place with security in mind. And so that's really where this industry is, is moving to. How do we implement control sooner? How do we understand more information around the development process, who's touched the software to better protect it in the back end? Yeah, I mean that's that's that that I think is really the the way to go because I've I've always felt that in most organizations and in most development organizations security was always an afterthought. It was a bolt on that you put like you were saying uh after you produce the software then came the security engineers and bolt on security whereas we're moving to a world where you need to start thinking about security and digital security especially from the moment you start building your assets. Otherwise, if you don't do security by design, it will never be effective because it was not designed with, with security in mind. So, so I, I, I think that that's, that's right on the money. And that a trend that I see in the, in the marketplace, really putting in an emphasis on, on security on all the digital prod products right. and you know one one aspect of it is is the role that that for example blockchain has to play in this chain of custody so right. you you guys are using blockchain technology yeah let me let me go in and explain that a little bit so kind of going back to that conversation with the department of Homeland security my team actually had a contract with the department of defense and we were working on cryptocurrency tracking and tracing uh, can we create an algorithm, which we did, to be able to identify illicit crypto wallets and find the bad guys and connect those dots? And so we had a, a very good background and understanding of how blockchain, which is the basis of cryptocurrency, works. Now, five years ago, 10 years ago, if you throw out the word blockchain, people were throwing money at you. But over time, you realize that there are some pros and cons to it. And, and one of the cons of blockchain is it can be slow and expensive and need a big infrastructure to run. So we didn't want to build CodeLock onto a blockchain. What we wanted to do was mimic the foundation of how blockchain works, this ability to create a interlinked ledger, to be able to have blocks of code that then get interlinked together 
and using hash values. So these, you know, these encrypted algorithms to be able to, or functions to be able to know if there's been a change to that block of code. So what we ultimately do is, is we'll take a block of code and we'll interlink them together. And so if there ends up being an unauthorized change, it's going to break the chain, hence the blockchain, and tell you exactly where in the code that the change occurred and what you need to go and look at it. That's kind of the basis of, of ledger systems that blockchain uses, but we're, we're not doing it on, say, Ethereum or, or something along those lines where you actually have some of the negative aspects that go with it. Yeah, that's that, that, that is fantastic. And, and you know, how all of these things tied together, it's, uh, it's really amazing. And you know, because, you know, it's 2023 and we can't have a show about technology or security without talking about it. What's the impact that technology, the AI technology, the chat GPTs are going to have in, in the digital security and cybersecurity? Is it going to make it harder to defend or, or easier to defend? Are we going to have better security or is it going to just make better attackers? You know, I think it's going to be a combination of both. You know, we, we get people that get really scared about quantum computing and, you know, what happens to encryption with quantum computing? You know, you're going to be able to break everything. Well, on the flip side, you can use quantum computing to then actually create security as well. So there's kind of this, you know, I think it's going to make it easier for attackers to attack in a lot of different ways. And so therefore, I think the security industry is going to continue to need to mold and change and, and stay ideally ahead of, of what's occurring in that first. So, you know, will it make it easier to attack? Yeah, it will. Will, will it also make it easier to defend? Yes, it will. And I think when you're looking at this space in this industry, you have to keep that in mind. You know, a tool that worked five years ago isn't necessarily going to be a tool that works today, provided it hasn't caught up to the times. Yeah, I, th I think you're 100% right about that one. You know, I've, I've up until very recently, I was uh, obviously working at, at a high education company and very close to my heart is the education topic. And yes. I believe that in with the pace of technology and the innovation of technology, I think every one of us has to look forward to multiple careers and multiple reinventions and re-educations in our future because technology is just changing changing so fast and one 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 topic that has been talking a, a lot about is this con concept of the autonomous security operation centers how far do you think we are away from this from this aut autonomous security operation centers where you essentially have uh, this, these detectors and these sensors and this artificial intelligence that detects these these attacks. Do you think that uh, is within the within the next few years, or it's still something further out in the future? Yeah, so one thing I'll say is, is I never think we're going to be at a point where there's there's full autonomous. I think that when when we look at you know artificial intelligence and, and machine learning, we actually like to to take the term AI for artificial intelligence and, and flip it to IA for intelligence augmentation. And so we're big believers in what's referred to as, as human and you know training or interaction when it comes to any type of autonomy. The the biggest and fastest supercomputer in the world is between your ears, literally still your brain. And so we think that with the large amounts of big data that are coming from you know sensors and tools, 100% automation and AI plays a part, and we need to see more organizations and more companies moving towards them. But I don't think it's ever going to be fully autonomous where the humans not involved. You're still going to need them to come in and 
and tweak and train and adjust and, and be involved in the near term. You know, 20 years from now, not exactly sure, but I think in the, in the next five to 10, you're, you're going to see that, see that happening. With that being said, you can't just throw more people at the problem. You know, we have a deficiency around the world in cybersecurity experts. They get burnt out. I think one out of three chief information security officers tend to leave their jobs over the course of just a couple of years, just because of the stress and the burnout and the amount of things getting thrown at them. So you need automation, you need AI to come in and handle the things that they're very capable of doing, whether that's, you know, looking at natural language processing or bringing in robotic process automation or intelligence process automation into the discussion to, to really pick up those minute tasks that are, are draining and too much for the, the human brain to do. Yes, the, the singularity is near. <laughs> So what does the, the future hold for Brian Gallagher? What are you looking forward to on over the next three to five years to put an AI chip in your brain? <laughs> no, I, I hope I will never get to that point. I always think of the, the total recall. There's a, there's a chip in my dog, and that's about as far as I've gone in case she gets <laughs> lost. So, you know, what I really want to see is I want to make an impact on, on what we're doing initially right now in software supply chain. But I've, I've always been working in the, the security world. You know, I started really just prior to 9-11 and after 9-11 getting into national security. And you mentioned kind of that intersection of physical security and and software security, that was me to a T. And I was doing physical security and saw this threat and how we're plugging all these things into networks and the cyber threat around that. And, and that's what got me into this space. And I think what I want to do in three to five years from now is continue to work with companies on identifying what these problems are and coming up with frontier solutions to be able to protect against them. That's kind of who I am as a person and, and who I think I'll, I'll always be in always be involved with. Fantastic. You know, I couldn't think about a better example of, 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 of somebody that personifies that, that merge of the physical world and the digital world from secret service to defender of the, the digital world. So this was another, another episode of the Cyberverse Business Report podcast. I'm Rodrigo, your host for the cyber world. It was such a pleasure to have Brian Gallagher here with us today. So let's, uh, let's keep merging those two worlds and uh, seeing the, 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 the singularity. Please join me next, next week when I bring in a, another exciting guest. Thank you, everybody, and see you out there in the digital world.